Like all things on this hurtling sphere, I emerged from the molten center of creation. But mine has been a unique path. Isolated, I developed attributes beyond those of lesser beings. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Frustrated Fans, where we're venting frustrations, one franchise at a time. I'm Jeremy. I'm Pete. And today, we're going to, if you all remember way back in, I think, like episode 22, we covered Superman Doomsday. It's been a the while. Very, yeah, the very first DC animated direct-to-video feature. That wasn't the Brainiac Attacks. That doesn't exist. <laughs> that that was stupid, man. Brainiac Attacks. Oh, I am never going to get over how mad you got over that one. I don't I actually found the chat logs, too. <laughs> I forgot how mad I got over that. Yeah. That, to be fair, I've seen some really good meme images come out of out of that film, but that's the only saving grace. So today, we're going to be covering the second of the direct-to-video features, which is Justice League The New Frontier, which was released February 28th, 2008. Now, unlike Superman Doomsday, which was pretty straightforward, you know, it was a modified representation of the original Superman Doomsday comics. This one, it feels like they went, okay, we've done something simple. Now let's just go crazy. Right. If you arguably Superman Doomsday builds on the DCAU, it's not in continuity with it, but it's, um, it uses, it, it, the animation felt similar enough that you could even, you could argue it's part of it. Yeah, the backgrounds too. Like it felt like they were reusing some of the existing backgrounds that they had from like later Justice League and stuff for Metropolis. Right. And arguably, I could definitely see Bruce Tim in basically making this like a a three or four part Superman anime series episodes. Yeah, really it could have been. To. Yeah, it could have been like what they did with the pilot, where it was like three parts or somewhere in the middle, kind of like, and then eventually transformed into a movie like World's Finest was. Right. So the D- this one, the uh, the New Frontier is um, it's it, it's another adaptation from a book from a, com- a six issue comic series that came out in two thousand and four um, called DC: The New Frontier. But it's from what I understand, it's a gr- very good adaptation of that. Um, yeah, they. Um, uh, I I didn't listen to all of the commentary on it, but on some of it. Uh, the part I did listen to, Bruce Tim said that one of the problems they had with this was they were just ch- at certain points they were just chopping things out uh, because there's a lot of things that were in the original comic, but they wanted to kind of boil it down to not the basics, but they wanted to take out like the extra stuff that didn't matter. And he said one of the things they didn't want to take out was eventually was Wonder Woman because even though she's technically not important to the story, which if you actually watch through, she could be taken out with no consequences whatsoever. Um, or almost. But the narrative stuff with her, they wanted to make sure they kept in there because they really liked it and they thought it was very well done. Well, Bruce Tim has come up publicly said that, especially in the previous for the Wonder Woman film, which we'll do another day, is that he always regretted not doing a third animated series before Justice League that focused on Wonder Woman. Mm. And among DC, among the big players, she's the kind of the third in what they call yeah. the Trinity, essentially. Yeah, or the big three. Yeah. As, uh, Bruce Tim has referred to them as, which is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, And I would definitely like to see more done with her. 
because yeah. I mean it, we really shouldn't be in 2016 and her first movie just coming out now. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have my doubts about Zack Snyder, but we've been over that. Um, but it the, the fact that it's taking this long to get a Diana movie is almost unacceptable. Yeah, or just I, I want a good I want a superhero movie that's a female main character that doesn't suck. And it isn't really should Yeah, that really <laughs> Or Supergirl. Yeah. Or, that should not be hard to do. It really shouldn't be that this hard to do. And yeah. honestly, like part of the problems was picking Catwoman and Electra was the characters uh, it's like you kinda start off in like with bad characters to begin with. Why can't we have a Black Widow movie? Yeah. Or why did she I mean, get granted, no merchandise compared to the boys when Avengers 2 came out? Yeah. To be fair, that just happened with Rey and Star Wars 7, too. Uh, <sighs> man, women really have it bad when it comes to geek movies. Yeah, and it's totally not fair because a standalone Black Widow movie could really work. To be fair, I could definitely... I'm not sure they would do a standalone Black Widow movie, but I could totally see a Black Widow and a Hawkeye. Combined. I would just like to see her as the main focus of the movie. You could put one of the other characters. Like, it's kind of like how... um, I'm trying to think of, like, one of the... Like, well, with uh, Captain, you know, America Winter Soldier, she's in it, but she... Basically, I would like to see it as what they did with Captain America Winter Soldier with Cap and her, except with the roles reversed, where she's the main focus and he's just there along for the ride. You know, and you could do that with Hawkeye, and this way it would expand his character since he he hasn't had that much done with him so far. No, and, and I would like to see more done with him. So yeah, I would like focus on it. Doesn't have to just be her, since at this point it looks like they're opposed to just having one character in a movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I would like to see her as the main focus, and then Hawkeye as kind of like her plucky sidekick. You know. But, um, but anyway, back to uh, Justice League. These, Justice League. Um, so yeah, and with this movie, uh, Justice League: New Frontier, unlike with Superman: Doomsday, everything from a technical perspective was built from scratch. Yeah, and uh, man, they got a really stellar cast behind this too. I mean, I was yeah. shocked at the bigger names. The the in cast in general now is massive compared to Superman: Doomsday. Yeah. I mean, just the highlights here. We have Neil Patrick Harris as Barry Allen, the Flash. Yep. We have Lucy, Lucy Lawless. As Wonder Woman, which is like the perfect casting choice oh, ever. Absolutely. You have Kara Sedwick as Lois Lane. So if any of you have seen that, that old crime show, The Closer, that, yep, she's the Southern lady there. Um, Brooke Shields is Carol Ferris. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Corey Burton, who uh, actually played Brainiac in the animated series, plays Aubin Sir and Ray Palmer. We have Keith David, Goliath Holy himself, as uh, the center, the bad guy. Yep. It's, just, it's a really good cast. And then you've um, got a lot of veteran voice actors here, too. You've got Townsend Coleman, a.k.a. The Tick, or 80s Michelangelo, Dr. Magnus. Yep. You've got, uh, let me see. Uh, the guy who voices Hal Jordan has done some voice yeah. work as well. 
Um, he was actually he played uh, Leon, aka Squall, in the original Kingdom Hearts. Right, and a bunch of other minor actors. Who, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so this is the I'm gonna say the acting in this was actually really good. Yep, and as almost always, they ha- the voice director was Andrea Romano, who did the voice direction for Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League. Basically, she is part of the team, and as much credit that always goes to, like, Bruce Tim and, like, James Tucker or Dwayne McDuffie, like, all the writers and producers and everything, Andrea Romano should get way more respect. Oh, yeah. So, because, I mean, she can take anybody as she's proven and make them awesome or at least get some, you know, get people that maybe have never done voice acting and get a great performance out of them. So, you know, huge respect to her oh, and her role in all of these. And she doesn't just do DC stuff. She's, she's bounced around to, um, a lot more like, uh, let me see. Uh, she's, she, I'm pretty sure she was behind Avatar, Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra, uh, which are two recent, really good series, especially for kids. Yeah, it's also inter- it's very nice when I hear her on the commentaries because she talks about the process of working with the voice actors and like the differences between people oh, doing yeah. just the recordings by themselves or in groups, and you actually get to see some of the video in some of the DVDs. They'll actually have videos of her coaching the different actors and trying to get a specific performance out of them. Oh, and she's and- one of the few. Uh, Disney's known for not doing. Um, group voice acting because it, it's a much more involved process and takes longer. They yeah. just do straight. Not Andrea. She always does groups because she's always, in her opinion, and I happen to agree, it's much more of an organic performance. Yeah, you get actual react. You have the characters or and the actors re- react off each other rather than just reading lines off the page and pretending that you're speaking with someone or having someone else do the performance for you to play off Right, she did the Thundercats reboot, which was definitely underrated. She's done all the DC stuff. She's done pretty much all the Warner Brothers stuff, Animaniacs, Freakazoid. She's she's been doing stuff all the way back to the early 1980s, Challenge of the Go-Bots she was the casting director on. Uh, The only only voice director I know who is probably just as good is Susan Blue. Um, and she works with a lot of Hasbro stuff. Mm. Uh, definitely. Oh, yeah, she, and, and she played RC in Transformers. Right. Uh, but she was the voice director for the original 80s uh, Ninja Turtles. Get me. Mm, okay. I think she was the voice director in um, all the, like, the later Transformers shows and stuff, too. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. Um, but, yeah, so these two, like, I mean, it's... I won't, it's definitely not a thankless job, but it's one that's not as publicized as much as the other people. So, yeah, she people like this need to get that focus and the respect that they deserve because you wouldn't get some of these really good voice performances without people like Susan Blue or Andrea Romano. Uh, definitely. And, yes, Susan Blue was the voice director for Beast Machines and Beast Wars. And she actually was the voice director for Legion of Superheroes, which is one of the uh, WB DC shows. So, wow, that's uncommon. But anyway, we should probably take our first break. Yeah, sounds good. Make no mistake, though. I have a $70,000 sliver of radioactive meteor to stop the one from Metropolis. With you, 
All I need is a penny for a book of matches. So to understand this movie, you need to understand uh, the various ages of comic books. And I'm going to do this really briefly as I can. The earliest comic books was pretty much um, the late 30s. Um, you've got with the debut of Superman in 1938 and Batman shortly followed thereafter. And that really gave the superheroes their genesis. And if you've ever actually gone back and read some of these earliest issues, and I admit I haven't done that very often, but I have watched the Chorus <clears throat> reviews of the Golden Age. Um, for their day, they were not afraid to tackle difficult social subjects, much less, uh, you know, characters. This was before the co Comics Code Authority was put into play, so there's there was a little bit more horror or violence than you'd expect for something of that era. And uh, we get some of our most foundational superheroes, not only just Superman and Batman I mentioned, but you had, at least on the DC side, you had Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, the F Alan Scott, not Hal Jordan. Um, and then on Marvel, you had the initial Human Torch, before it was the Fantastic Four, the Submariner, and Captain America, all instituted. And you'll have all the war comics, World War II comics, that were done during this time. What changed is I want what changed was the what followed that was the quote silver age of comics and that was mid fifties fifty six to around nineteen seventy and that happened because of something called seduction of the innocent where in this quack psychologist blamed uh, comic books for all juvenile delinquency and picked up on the relationship between Batman and Robin as uh, <laughs> homoerotic. Yeah. Look, just because two guys go out and fight crime together, one of them wears tights, the other one doesn't wear pants, doesn't mean that there's any type of gay undertones. Of course not. Just like how there's no gay overtones in um, Top Gun, the movie, right? How could a movie where the male protagonists call each other cute nicknames and play volleyball and ride their phallic vehicles at extremely high speeds be anything but straight? <laughs> okay, here we go. It was uh, Friedrich Worth, uh, Worthman, MD, wrote this uh, book in 1954 that called comic books part of this uh, part of junior, essentially ca causing, you know, won't someone think of the children effect effectively? <laughs> so the industry at the time set, essentially set up what they call the Comic Code Authority, which is which uh, was a self-censoring board. So it really toned down the violence. It stopped any kind of social commentary. Forget any depiction of drugs as a even as a bad thing. And uh, really was, went into since it was definitely we we're in the our era of the McCarthy era. This is definitely rah rah America and. I mean, Silver Age does not make the Silver Age bad by any means. If anything, the Silver Age is fun because it's the f what became – what eventually became the Adam West Batman series is a perfect example of that Silver Age mythos. Or the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon was not – the modern one was an adaptation of all those silly Silver Age stories. And they are silly. Let's be honest here. 
Yeah, the uh-huh. Batman Brave and the Bold embraced it really well. Oh yeah, they just took to it. But we're where this comes up is that DC, the New Frontier movie, um, is an adaptation of the New Frontier comic, which is essentially a love letter to that best parts of the Golden Age, um, even though it kind of mixes in Silver Age characters um, in there with the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, and Barry Allen Flash, not Jake Garrick. But ultimately, like I said, it's a love letter, and it's a very well-written love letter to the Golden Age. I know we've gone into a lot, and we talked about a little bit about our experience with these uh, direct-to-video series. Um, Pete, if you just want to give a quick summary. I didn't really give it much thought when Super Newton and Doomsday came out. Bear in mind, I remember when Brainiac Attacks came out before for this, and I honestly thought it was a cheap cash grab. It wasn't until Batman Gotham Knight, which admittedly, if we, if we end up following this chronologically, we may or may not, is next on our list. I sat down and take the start of the, the direct-to-video movie seriously, because I eventually went back to New Frontier, and I was honestly pleasantly surprised. I've caught most of what's been released, but I haven't seen all of it. And honestly, my favorite is still The Green Lantern First Flight, because it is still a better movie than the terrible Ryan Reynolds one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ryan Reynolds himself would agree with that. Oh, um, uh, I mean... Just remember, please don't make the super suit green or animated. Oh, I walked. I watched Deadpool earlier today. We were recording this on 2.15, and I, yeah, that was really good. Oh, my God. <laughs> my favorite other one was, I could sew your mouth shut. You don't want to do that. What well, what took me by surprise was the Stanley cameo. I about died of laughter in that one. Was the what cameo? Stanley cameo. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, spoilers for Deadpool, folks. Just minor ones here. Stanley's trademark cameo in every Marvel movie. He's in a. He's the announcer for a strip club. You know, yep. Me. Great. And that's how he's credit, and that's how he shows up in the credits. It says, uh, "Strip club DJ Stanley." Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, man. I was laughing really hard. Oh god, that that movie was fantastic. Yeah. Just the the straight up man, it's a big mansion for just the two of you. It's almost like the studio couldn't afford to have more X-Men in here. <laughs> and yeah, there's an after credit scene, but only stay if you're familiar with 80s teen movies. Okay, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> but getting back to our main topic, yep. um, I actually saw – I started watching these right away because I heard that – like I knew that it was Bruce Tim and his team and that this was like the successor stuff to the DCAU. And so I remember I was happy with um, Dooms- like Superman Doomsday. I liked it when I first saw it. Um, and then I saw New Frontier and, yeah, I really loved it. I, I had not heard of the uh, – series of comics it was based off of, but I really liked it. I really liked the design and everything. Uh, then I missed a few. I, I didn't see Gotham Knight. I didn't see Wonder Woman. I know I have seen First Flight, but I don't I know I saw it way after it came out. Um, and then I saw The Crisis on Two Earths, which I have to admit is was better the second time I watched it. Yeah. I, I thought the first time I watched it, I was just like, eh, it's the same old alternate timeline crap. I'm kind of tired of it. 
Um, and I know it was supposed to be like a bridge the gap between Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, just retooled for a full movie. Um, but I thought it was missing, like it had a lot of potential that this wasn't tapped. But the second time I watched it, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. Um, and of course, Under the Red Hood, All-Star Superman. I've seen tons of, I've actually been going back recently now and just binge watching through almost all of these. Um, so now I think they're almost all of them are really good. I've only had like one or two that I wasn't a big fan of Yeah. so far. Same here. Um, there's, there are, they're, they're never not bad, but yeah. there are, the, some are better than others. Yeah. There was like only one that I disliked and it was more because of just, it was the source material rather than it wasn't their fault. It was just they picked bad source material for it. But I've really, really been loving the fact that there is now an animated movie universe that started with Justice League War, which I think is one of my it's like my new favorite, which I really enjoyed. Fine. And that continues on through Son of Batman, Throne of Atlantis, Batman versus Robin, Batman Bad Blood, and the upcoming Justice League versus Teen Titans. Right. Um, I'm really disappointed that they never got around. Personally, I'm disappointed that they never got around to doing the adaptation of the Sinestro Core War that one, several people said they wanted to see as a standalone in DC. Because that seeing a full fledged war between Green and Yellow Lanterns sounds just awesome. They might still get around to it. Um, I mean, the, I've read the comics, and it's one of my favorite comics because it definitely delves into the rivalry between Sinestro and Hal and why there is such a hatred there. So. But they might still get to it. I know the next, I think the next one they're doing after Justice League vs. Teen Titans is an adaptation of The Killing Joke. Yeah, Mark Hamill's back for that. That's going to be chilling. Have you ever read The Killing Joke? I I haven't read any of these. (laughs) Yeah, it's Joker at his darkest. And for the comics, that's saying something. Because he's a lot darker in the comics than he is in any movie so far. Even kidnapping and torturing and mutilating Tim Drake? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I that, that's on par with him in the comics. We're talking yeah, about... Yeah, I'm like, that, that Return of the Joker flashback is pretty extreme. Uh, well, let me put it this way. About two years ago, in a Joker storyline, he they, they dialed up the crazy so much to 12 or 11 that Harley, of all people, left him. And, you know, the Joker cut off his own face and threatened to do it to the entire Bat family. Hi! That's not creepy! On that note, let's take our second break. (laughs) New look? A sidekick? Do you mind if I ask you... As a matter of fact, I do. Let's just say I set out to scare criminals, not children. Fair enough. Alright, so... The the main plot for Justice League, The New Frontier... It's actually kind of interesting because it's more like a series of vignettes that have the same background plot to them and end up all converging at the end. Uh, The basic idea of it is there's this sinister presence called the center that's existed for eons, essentially, and it sees humans as a poison to Earth, and so it wants to destroy everything. But unlike Ferngull, it actually tells the story well. (laughs) <laughs> and there is no singing Tim Curry in this, unfortunately. It would have been interesting if it had a singing Keith <laughs> David. Oh, I, 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 as 
terrible as that would have been, if it had been Tim Curry, I I probably would have been okay with it. Yeah. And actually, it's the exact opposite of Ferngully. In Ferngully, it's human... Man is the villain with its pollution creature. In this one, it's actually... Man is trying to stop the annihilation of their world from the evil creature that sees them as poison to the earth. Right. Um, but so this takes it takes place right at the end of and after the Korean War. Yeah. It starts off showing Hal Jordan, the first, uh, you know, the Green Lantern, well, way before he gets his ring. Yeah, and it also shows Superman and Wonder Woman acting in um, Korea. Yeah. Or is that supposed to be Vietnam? I'm, I'm confused. I think it's it's during still during the war, like right at the tail end of it. Uh, the way I like how it doesn't go about like they don't have to try to explain who no, no, every it's Vietnam. Are. I'm checking the story. They're in Vietnam. Okay. Oh, okay. They're in Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. So one thing I like about it is they don't try to go through the trouble of explaining every single character, um, you know, introducing everyone. Basically, the movie assumes you know who these characters are, and for the characters who are just having their origin happen as part of the story, you're introduced to them, and then you just follow them. It's, this isn't an origin story for the Justice League or anything. It's part of an ongoing, you're just entering in this timeline at a certain point. Right. Um... What I do like is that it, it does establish, it does kind of pay respect to the war comics where Wonder Woman does mention at one point, like in World War II, and arguably Korea, they were definitely in the right, but she's become disillusioned with America when it comes to Vietnam. So and it definitely reflects that gold and silver age sensibilities. I, I like how they use Superman in this movie because, as always, you know, he's usually the, in some stories, it's, if Superman's around, why the heck is everyone else there? Because he's infinite power, you know? Uh, but I like the way he's used in this one where you could tell he still has that good sense of what is right, but also is kind of falling into, I should follow the government. You know, people with powers like me should be more controlled than we have been. And then by the end of the movie, he's grown and sees like, yeah, there you know there need to be some checks and balances for us, but we're also there's a reason why we're here, and that's to save people, kind of no matter what. And it's him is kind of like becoming the conscience for the group. And at the end, they kind of they do a smart way of removing him from the final battle, so he's just not you know the Deus Ex Machina, which actually I like. Yeah, and I like that too because again, it's some stories people ask like, well, if Superman's there, why the heck are, is everyone else there? What what? Use or they. Right. Justice League War also handles that really well, too. Like, they take him out of it for a little bit or don't have him as the invincible man. <laughs> Sorry, I just watched War, Justice League War Bridged earlier today, so I was thinking of how they handled that. Uh, no, see, to, to me, no one could match the hilarity. I had to pause the movie. I laughed so hard at the moment where these people were protesting Wonder Woman and there's this guy on top of her car light, and she asks him, what is your problem with me? And he goes, because you scare people by pointing that sword at them, and you dress like a whore. And so then she swings her lasso around, wraps it around him, and goes, that's not your real feelings. Tell me the truth. And he goes, I cross-dress as Wonder Woman to make myself feel strong. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, you need to catch the abridged series. Uh, it's Young Justice abridged, but they work in some of the movies. 
and um, Superman is portrays this red blooded American, you know, love like straight out of the Silver Age. So <laughs> when the when they were torturing him on Apocalypse, they play the French national anthem, <laughs> like Keith banded off the heel. opposite of America. Yeah. <laughs> In America! <laughs> the uh, New Frontier movie, is, like I said, is more of like a series of vignettes and mini-stories rather than one big overarching plot, kind of like Superman Doomsday was. And it's actually a good way of handling this very large cast of characters. Yeah, we get enough time with ma- all the major criticals to get a sense of them, but none of them dominate the story. Yeah, like this may, you know, this is used as Hal Jordan's like origin as Green Lantern, but he doesn't dominate the plot over characters like Martian Manhunter or The Flash. And the way they use The Flash is really good. I like this iteration of The Flash. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love, you know, Wally West in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, but I also really like Barry Allen in this one, and I have very little experience seeing Barry Allen. Um, mainly just seeing in these movies. And I really like the way he's used, where he's also kind of like the conscience. You know, he's kind of like what Superman eventually becomes by the end of the movie, where he just wants to do good. And at certain points, when the government keeps trying to prevent him, he goes like, look, I just wanted to help people, and now the government is trying to stop me from doing so. You know, so because I can't even help you people, I'm just going to quit. And then, but when he sees that, something is about to threaten the entire planet, he goes, all right, it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks, I'm going to go in and help anyway, damn the consequences. Uh, And something really good about this one in comparison to Superman Doomsday, Superman Doomsday showed what they could do with just like, here's our test run of PG-13 and kind of what we can get away with, you know, seeing, you know, how this works. This was a more adult story. Like, there's you mean a, besides a Wonder of, Woman crashing her invisible jet in the cockpit's filled with blood? Well, yeah. There's, oh, yeah, which was a very good moment, by the way. Yeah. I really like that part. But it's not just – in this one, it's not just the violence, you know, but the violence kind of is just a natural part of the story. Like the end of the Korean War where Hal Jordan is forced to shoot someone in the head at point-blank range with an amazingly well-animated shadow shot of them just reeling back and you see all the blood flying. Um, but just like the story in general is something you would you would not see in one of the cartoon shows. It's something that's um, you know it targets the older audience and targets like a more mature audience rather than just throwing violence. Well, out there. it's basically the audience who grew up since Batman the Animated Series. Us, yeah, our it, generation. <laughs> exactly, and it treats you know it's targeted more towards us as adults rather than showing hey, you know, here's our test run of more violence and stuff. And yeah, you know, Superman Doomsday obviously had a bit more of an adult story to it, but with some censoring, honestly, it could have fit in one of the TV shows. Yeah. Whereas this one is something that wouldn't have worked in the animated series. I also love what they did with Martian Manhunter. Um, I mean, in Justice League, he's kind of a... Um, he has his moments, but he's not... I mean, he's just kind of muscle in a couple episodes. Right. You know, or the guy that can transform into other people or used as a plot device as in he can read other people's minds. Right. I mean, there are points where I was like, re- I, I questioned his motivations in that series. And, you know, he's pretty much written off for the entire fifth season. Yeah. Fifth? Whatever. Yeah. Or the final season. Right. Yeah. So, 
But in this one, he really does feel like someone who is separate from the rest of the human race, uh, or from the human race. And you know, he you can tell how lonely he is. Like they did a really good job with his character design. I really like how he looks in this one. Yeah. And near the end, when he takes the superhero version, you know, form of himself, and I really <laughs> like the uh, that golden silver age style of him. Oh, and Fa- even Faraday just comments like. Yeah, well, pants. Yeah. <laughs> John's uh, superhero form wears boy shorts. Yeah. I really like the scene where he's um, trying to understand humanity by watching TV, and he takes the different forms. Yeah. Um, like, he transforms into Groucho Marx. He looks like Bugs Bunny. Um, <clears throat> and eventually he becomes a detective, and you could tell he's basing his detective persona off of what he's seen in, like, noir TV shows and movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everything with him is well done, and he go and his character has a long and well-done arc in this movie. Where he, uh, he first tries to get home, but ultimately agree, realizing he has to stay on Earth, uh, adapts to it. Yeah, and decides to make Earth his new home. Right, and Faraday, he, it's kind of his... his friend in this ends up being Faraday, and we'll say Faraday for in a moment, because I really want to talk about that character. Yeah. Um, yeah, like another part with Martian Manhunter, I liked with Batman, where the two first meet, and then eventually... Oh, this is your favorite moment, yeah. Oh, this is one of them. Um, I just love that, where uh, Batman is... It's, I like this version of Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into that also next part, but I like where he says to Jean, Martian Manhunter, he says, I have a $70,000 piece of rock for the one in Metropolis. For you, I just need a penny for a book of matches. Hey, Bats is always prepared. Yep. And doesn't trust nobody. Nope. And we'll get into more of Faraday and Batman after another break. I have looked into your mind, and by extension, your heart. You honestly believe that there will be a better day when all of this won't be necessary. To find that within you, Mr. Faraday, has filled my heart with hope. So we're back. Um, One of my favorite characters is, at least in this movie, is Faraday, who is just kind of this... He's a government agent designed, kind of like, interested in keeping Earth safe from alien influence. And he's the one who first tracks down the Martian Manhunter and ultimately befriends John. Uh, but he also is he's arranging with Ferris Air trying to send a rocket to Mars with Colonel Flagg and Hal Jordan in the pilot seat. Yeah, that was one of the more messed up moments the first time I watched this movie. It was like, ultimately the plot is they know Martian Manhunter is on Earth, but they don't know where. So because they can't find him, they're going to go to Mars themselves. And Hal Jordan is completely on board with Colonel Flagg, and they shoot the rocket off, and the rocket has a malfunction in orbit, and Hal's like, okay, well, we'll just land in the ocean. No big deal. Oh, about that, there's bombs on board. There's a nuclear bomb on board. And everyone who from Ferris Air who didn't know about this were kind of like, what? Yeah. What the hell? How would you put... Nerve gas, biological agents, and a nuclear bomb. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that goes over well. 
Uh, uh, yeah. And oh, flag well, something I like owned. about something I like about that scene also is Faraday is the only one to catch that Martian Manhunter is trying to get on the rocket so he can get back to Mars, and you know Martian Manhunter takes him out, but then he ends up deciding to save Faraday rather than you know go onto the rocket again. You know, it's just it shows like he has that potential to be a hero. Basically, he sacrifices his one chance to go home just to save one person. But Faraday, that's not to say Faraday is a bad guy, even if he was kind of, um, you know, trying to nuke Mars. Um, Misguided. Yeah. He, he, had, um, he had good intentions, but... But the end, yeah. it, if in the final battle, when the center is sending, well, dinosaurs to attack the heroes, um, and, and the center kind of overwhelms John's mind, and John's trying to recover... Faraday's right there trying to help his friend, and then this prehensile T-Rex tail comes up, crushes the life out of Faraday. And most men, when they have their internal organs turn into a goopy paste, would lay down and die, but Faraday pulls two grenades and suicide bombs the T-Rex. Yep. And Bowling it up its head. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is such... It is such a good, like, holy shit moment in this movie. Oh my god, yeah. I, it's still my favorite moment, because it shows Faraday may be a jackass uh, government agent, but damn if he's not going to go out. Oh, he's uh, also a badass. Yeah, 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 he is. Um, yeah, no, well, I like it with Faraday, because um, you can tell he just, he has the good intentions just looking at it the wrong way where he and Superman are talking and about Martian Manhunter, and Superman just looks at him and goes, there's more to this than what you think. He could have left any time he wanted. Just think about that. Yeah. You know, try talking to him. And eventually Faraday befriends Martian Manhunter, because he just gives him a chance rather than being afraid of him. What else? Who uh, else shows up? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I like Batman isn't a big part of this movie. No, which uh, is rare for Tim's team because they, they have a lot of these justice league movies are like the batman show <laughs> he gets so much focus on a lot of these right i mean um, there is a good moment where batman um ends up inadvertently scaring a kid he's trying to rescue yeah and i, I liked that because i liked his first costume in this where it really looks like something he just kind of put together because, you know, he's got, like, the really big gloves. Just, in general, the costume looked a bit more amateurish than what we eventually see in, like, Batman the Animated Series or in Justice League. Uh, but, yeah, he ends up scaring this small child that he's just trying to rescue. And so then later on in the movie, you see him looking more like the Adam West Batman. And you see Robin. And Superman asks him, like, why did you change your look? You know, you have a kid. What happened? And he, and he says, I put on this costume to scare criminals, not children. And I really liked that. It's a short, quiet moment, but it's a good one. Um, well, and like I said earlier, they originally were thinking of removing Wonder Woman, but decided not to, because even though her character, like, honestly, she doesn't have that big of a part. She's in, like, three scenes in the entire movie. Um, but the scenes she's in are good, and I really like that first introduction of her. Well, yeah. The show... Like the darker it's themes a, in this movie. Well, it's a dark, what, Superman finds this uh, village of Vietnamese women who are celebrating with Wonder Woman. Kind of a dark celebration. And he's like, wait yeah. a minute, what the hell happened here? You know, why are their bodies burning outside? And uh, she explains that 
Yeah, the village was attacked by rebels. The men and children were killed. The women were kept, as she puts, to be used. She finds it, frees them, takes the weapons away from the men, just puts them down between the women and the men, and, and then takes a step back. And lets anything else happen. Let's things happen yep. as they will. Yep. Yeah. Which, that fits her character in so many ways. Oh, absolutely. It is a great... Rep- and it's you can, also you can also see how horrified Clark is. Yeah, and because he sees her as a superhero like him, that just you know, truth, justice, the American way, everything. And he points, he says to Lois, like a few scenes after this, that people like Batman or Wonder Woman, they are seeing, you know, they are technically superheroes, but they won't sacrifice their values for some for other people. And Wonder Woman proves that. You know, yeah, I'm a superhero, but I also have my own set of values, and I'm not going to compromise them just because some government that I don't follow tells me to. Yeah. And I really like that. It showed that she's not a... It It showed a little bit of, like, a moral gray thing, but it wasn't she's bad because she let this happen. It's that's just the way she sees things. Like, they let you... Every single character in this movie, they let you draw your own conclusions about them. Oh, yeah. Even um, and then there are there are minor cameos. I guess is the best way to put it. Ray Palmer of the Atom. We never see him in the suit, although he is critical in the plot. Yeah. Uh, Green then, Arrow. Yeah, yeah Green Arrow. There, but he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he shoots a couple arrows. Yeah. <laughs> and he flies around in an aerojet because why not? So, out of the minor ones. And then in the in the final, we gotta talk about this final bit with the John F. Kennedy speech. Yeah. Or should we wait for a break? Oh, no. We can get into it. The movie ends with this kind of inspirational moment where it's adapted from John F. Kennedy's famous A New Frontier speech. It, I've looked up the text of the speech. It's pretty edited um, because it was his original acceptance speech for the Democratic nomination. So there's a lot of political mentions more than just, you know, inspiration but uh, I mean it's just chilling how well they like this promise of the future and then they show there's a bit where they show I guess what I thought you call the proto titans and yeah it's a really great moment to end the movie with and again kind of uh, respect for the gold and silver age I was going to say the other um, heroes that show up you get the Blackhawks Oh, who yeah. With the, yeah, with you help with the aerial battle against the center. Which, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for the Blackhawks, but I understand why they kind of fell apart as a conquook. They were a purely created in World War II era, so they were popular in that era, but afterwards they started getting really sci-fi and finding weird stuff, and the comic just fell off. So Bruce, Tim, and his crew try to include them whenever they can, they have a great part in the uh, season one finale of Justice League. Yeah, when they go back to World War Two, and they have a they have a good role here. So yep, yeah. So uh, overall, this is a fantastic movie. You should see it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, for like the second attempt at one of these, this is very very impressive. Like it showed that Doomsday was the testing the waters, and this was them kind of hitting the ground running. 
So we're nearly to fifty for, episodes. You know that? Yeah. Oh my god. Holy crap! Well, most podcasts don't last ten, much less fifty. So I yeah, guess it's so good for us. We got to do something special for fifty. Indeed. What do you have in mind? So we started this podcast with an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, Justice. <laughs> Top bad, bad episode. Yeah, bad episode. Um, the actual, like, we'll get into more about it when we hit episode fifty. But honestly, it was actually us talking about a Star Trek movie that basically spawned this podcast. Yeah, and so. We're go- episode 50 is going to cover that movie. And no, we're not going back and revisiting Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, never again. <laughs> oh. Um, so for episodes 48 and 49, we decided to do a build-up to episode 50. So next time, in our 48th episode, we are going to cover the pilot for Star Trek The Next Generation encounter at Farpoint. Their first two-hour special. Yep. Then for episode 49, we're going to cover their last episode, the three-hour All Good Things. That was two hours. Oh, really? Yep, it was just a two-part put into one thing. Oh, my mistake. Yep. Um, And then for episode 50, well, you'll see. See you next time, everyone. The pioneers gave up their safety, their comfort, and sometimes their lives to build our new West. They were determined to make the new world strong and free, an example to the world. Some would say that those struggles are all over, that all the horizons have been explored, that all the battles have been won, that there is no longer an American frontier. And we stand today on the edge of a new frontier, the frontier of unknown opportunities and perils. Beyond that frontier are uncharted areas of science and space, unsolved problems of peace and war, unconquered province of ignorance and prejudice. I'm asking each of you to be pioneers towards that new frontier. My call is to the young in heart, regardless of age. Can we carry through in an age where we will witness not only new breakthroughs in weapons of destruction, but also a race for mastery of the sky and the rain, the ocean and the tides, the far side of space, and the inside of men's minds. All mankind waits upon our decision. A whole world looks to see what we shall do. And we cannot fail that trust, and we cannot fail to try.